everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flops Podcast. I'm Angelique Gay, a mom and a writer who recently went through a major life transition. Each week, I invite other creatives and change makers on to talk about their own transitions, a time in their life when they felt completely untethered and lost, which as it turns out is completely normal and can even be life affirming. Today, I am beyond honored to be chatting with documentary producer Jyoti Sarda, who conceived of and produced And She Could Be Next with Ava DuVernay. The New York Times describes the film as a two-part documentary series, which follows the campaigns of several female politicians of color, including Stacey Abrams, and the communities that rally with them. The film shows what a systemic shift actually looks like. Before becoming a producer, Jody enjoyed comfortable positions as VP Marketing at Paramount Pictures and Executive Director at 20th Century Fox. Why did she take this huge leap? And what did it feel like to take that risk? Let's find out. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I have to say thank you so much for the advice you gave me in December, where I called you and asked about documentary versus podcast. And you said to me, if what you love so much is conversation, then you should be doing a podcast or a video series and not something with a beginning, a middle and an end like a documentary. So here we are. And I took here your advice. Are. Yeah. And then I, I have was... to say it was tickled to get your email. <laughs> it was like, this is so great. Uh, you know, you have conversations with people and especially during pandemic time, it's all a bit disjointed, right? We're not yeah. necessarily seeing that person again. And so it was, it was really delightful to get your email back and just hear that you had progressed. And then I listened to your podcast and I thought they were really terrific. So congratulations to you. Well, that means a lot coming from you. I was doing research about you and I saw that on December 15th, 2020, you were at an event. I believe it was a Zoom event with Gloria Steinem and Juliana Moore. Oh uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> And okay, so what's crazy is I looked back in my calendar and that was the day that we spoke, December 15th, 2020. Oh, yeah. So that means that you and I spoke that day and then that night you just happened to be chatting with Gloria <laughs> So I just had this moment of, that's crazy. That's really good sleuthing there. That's probably true. That's probably true. I probably scheduled you in and, that, and see, this is why the makeup matters, uh, yeah. you know. You can either amortize your makeup or you can, <laughs> it can be just like a one-off. Um, <laughs> so how was that event with Gloria Steinem? Well, you know, it was rather great. We also had, you know, Julianne Moore is also really a thoughtful and interesting person. And the organization that we were doing it for is called Take the Lead. And I've known Gloria Feld, who leads that organization for a bit. She actually organized this really interesting program called 50 Women. She does this by different sectors. So my program was called 50 Women Can Change the World of Media and Entertainment. We were put into this group. We all applied and were reviewed. And we spent about four months together working on different it was like a training. And then we formed these sort of relationships. And so she had myself and then she had a, a person who came out of the journalism version of it. And we were doing the interview with Gloria and Julianne. And, you know, they're 
they're kind of who they are. It's not like they're personas. It's very interesting. What did you talk to Gloria Steinem about? So we talked a bit about, so Julianne Moore had played her yeah. in the Glorias. And we talked a bit about her life. I mean, I didn't get to ask the question I really wanted to ask because Gloria Steinem started out, you know, really observing a lot of issues in India. It's always interesting to hear somebody else's take on, you know, the country that you consider part of your heritage. But, you know, basically we asked them about this current state of gender equity. We talked a little bit about what it was like for Julianne to play an icon, what it was like to have someone else represent yourself, that kind of dynamic. We had only about five or six questions that we were able to ask, but some advice that they might have for the next generation. Can you pass on some of that advice? Yeah, that's a good question. So one of the things that I think that at least Gloria Steinem passes on is this idea that there's a longevity to the movement. She's very actively passing the baton. And she talks about the differences between the period of time that they were in. I don't know if that's advice per se, but she just sort of has this long view and that not everything needs to be done by yourself. You know, that, mm. that you have, even if you're someone prominent, you're but one of many. And that should both give a person comfort as well as a sense of perspective, you know, that you do not have to do it all. And you have, and, and you know, you're part of a, a movement. Yeah, well, that's a really great segue right into, and she could be next. Ah, yes. <laughs> How did it feel to see that get made? And what are audiences' response to it? Well, what's interesting is it was finished during the pandemic. And then it broadcast during the pandemic. And we did innumerable screenings, mostly digital. And so what's interesting is I've never seen it with a live audience. I've seen it with an audience on my computer laptop and where they're texting their comments or things like that, but it's not the same thing. Um, having said that, I feel incredibly proud. It was, there was a lot of people involved. So another example of, you know, it wasn't myself. It wasn't just my other two partners. It was, it wasn't just the field directors who, you know, went out and covered these amazing women. And it wasn't even just those women. One of the things somebody told me about, about their takeaway from it, she could be next, which I think is so important. They realized for the first time how many people are involved in any campaign and any effort. It takes an army. And I hope that as we all turned our attention then later to Georgia and all of those amazing organizers from Ensei Ufat on down, I mean, you got to see them again, right? As we were all fixated on the events in the runoff, the Senate runoff in Georgia, you also realize that this work that they'd all been doing, I mean, there's a lot of people involved and that's what it took to ensure the outcome that, that happened. So I have a huge amount of respect for these organizers because they don't do it, their work just during elections. They do it day in and day out. Did you have a chance to interact with Stacey Abrams? You know, we have interacted with her, yes. I have been to several events even here in LA. I didn't film her personally. You know, that's not the way it worked, but yes. She is, you know, like working with a certain level of politician and she's definitely at that national level. Interestingly, it's somewhat like working with an A-list actor in the sense that they have a bit of insulation around them, right? Because there are so many people coming at them at any given moment. So she's incredibly charming. She's incredibly smart, articulate. Her stories move me, even when I hear the same ones 
over and over again because, you know, she has a stumped speech. And yet, I don't think you really get to know these people. You know, they have a somewhat of an armor around. That's my honest take on it. Um, there's other women like uh, Rashida Tlaib or Bushra who are just different people also. And there you get a little bit more into their interior. But anyone who's operating sort of on a national stage, uh, they have learned to put a bit of armor up, I think. Do you think she'll be the next president Mm. or one of the next presidents? I think she will run for president. Mm -hmm. But first, she's going to run for governor Mm -hmm. of Georgia. Yeah, she's going to go back at it. Amazing. How did you feel when Kamala won? I was excited. I was, you know, that was, well, I was excited that the ticket won also. It was Mm -hmm. pretty stressful that period of time. (laughs) To Uh, say the least. Yeah, it was troubling to have that lack of confidence in our institutions. It still is troubling. Clearly, we still have a lot more work to be done. But Kamala, I mean, you know, I'm from California, so I've been following her for a long time. I remember being at an event with her when she was running for Senate. 2016. And it was basically black attorneys. And um, myself and another Indian woman, we came up and we said, well, come talk to the other women of color, you know, (laughs) let's talk about your Indian side. But she has actually come out much more and talked about her mother's influence and, and that other side of her as she has continued on with her when she ran for president and then as she ran for vice president. I'm just so pleased with so much of the outcome of last year. And yet I recognize we have so much more work to do. Are audiences taking from your movie the power of the individual and the power of communities? Yeah, do you think, I think you're so. inspiring more people to go out and at a grassroots level realize their own power in making a difference? I hope so. I bet I would love that. And I feel like that's what I hear back, that we set out to sort of follow these amazing women who were rising up in the moment to run for office. The surprise of the documentary was understanding the work of organizers and understanding actually the people behind those people. So that's why Ense Ufat became an example of that and a main character for many of those organizers. There's also Latasha Brown and, you know, Aijan Poo from Domestic Workers. They all are activating their communities and actually giving them the levers of power. And I can't think of anything more democratic, frankly. So I feel like one of the messages we went out with is there's an organizer in all of us. Each of us have a circle of influence. And whether it's when we get back out there, it might be the church arena, it might be at work, it might be just because you're the person that plans all the parties in your circle of friends, whatever it is, everyone has. And flexing that in a way that's thoughtful and yet still showing leadership, I think is something we'd love to see people feeling empowered to do. I wanted to know if you can speak about working with Ava DuVernay. Ava, who is a true star. I just watched her interview President Obama about his book. And then he said, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to have to have a call and catch up, Ava, because, you know, we're buds. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's it. That's Ava. Okay. What I love about the way she uses her platform is she uses it to lift other artists and voices up. So all of us are grateful that she decided to lend her name to our project. She was very busy making the Central Park Five series. And despite that, she took this on. And truthfully, we mostly engaged her towards the end when we were getting ready to release, where we could utilize her presence, her social media, her her presence in panels 
meals, that type of thing, mm-hmm. which she very graciously provided. And so I have nothing but high praise. Wow. So this is a podcast about transitions, about making transitions and change and people who create change. And you are someone who transitioned from the corporate world, working at Paramount as an executive, and then you transitioned into documentary producing. And I know you had other things in between that. But I'm just curious, as you were transitioning from the corporate world to doing what you do now, I'm wondering why you made that transition. And as it was happening, was there any fear or shame or any intense you know, looking within yourself to figure out what you were doing that took place. Did it happen quickly? Or did you really have this ending uncomfortable middle and new beginning transition process that you went through? I love how you described that. And yes, all of the above. So I had at one other point, there had been a nimble media 1.0. That's the name of my production yes. company. But it's been the name of my company, whether it was a production company or a consultancy or whatever whatever it was. And um, when I transitioned out of my time at Fox, 20th Century Fox, I thought I would try my own shingle. And the truth be told, I didn't, I hadn't really set myself up for success in that I hadn't given myself either mentally, financially, or any other way, the runway that it takes to set up a new company. So what what happened is very quickly when I got a new client and that client was Paramount, the work I ended up doing with them, I just it just expanded. And then they offered me a job and I, I took it because I wasn't really ready. When I conceived of going off and, and doing something different, because, you know, I often describe this as I left my perfectly good job. I, mean, there were, I worked with really nice people. It was a nice living. It was near my house, beautiful surroundings. There was nothing wrong with my job at Paramount. It's just that I had been there a while and it felt like it was time to evolve. And what I had actually picked out was doing something that put me a little bit at the, what I thought was the future of, of the industry, which is working in a streaming company. So I had chosen what seemed like a reasonable risk a streaming startup, but a funded one. And I thought this will be what I do. I'll learn a lot. And then I'll be in a position to be hired by one of the bigger streamers. And instead what happened was they didn't get a round of funding and uh, it just didn't work out. And the thing that's interesting in that period of time when you first leave a position that, you know, like there's an identity in your business card, right? And um, I, I was concerned about what other people thought I was doing next. I I was concerned. Yeah, I don't know. I was just, and that anxiety really was my own anxiety, but that's how it manifested itself. So I want, and you know, I wanted to be perceived as doing something and not having failed, but chosen the startup that didn't quite work out. So when it devolved, I got very busy trying to find the next project. And somewhere in there, I did conceive of this idea for And She Could Be Next. I had thought it would be something short term because I was naive. And I had thought, well, I just had a different conception of what the project was going to be. And it's probably just as well that I didn't really know how difficult it was going to be. Otherwise, I I might not have started it. And so I just set about, because I knew 
I, I had the idea that I wanted to do a documentary. I had just finished working and helping an, another friend of mine with her documentary about the Equal Rights Amendment. And so I had a sense of what this was about. And I knew enough to know I wasn't a documentary filmmaker. So I set about finding uh, people who were seasoned, who uh, would be interested in the same subject matter and kind of building a team. And so that's where I found my partner, Grace Lee. And But I mean, I had met a lot of other people like her who were doing sort of the same work. It's just that, you know, I had to find that combination of things. Someone who was keen about politics, keen about equity, and also someone who was a skilled documentarian and who wanted to work with me. There were lots of highs and lows. One of the things you do when you start to partner with people is you have to give away your control of the project and also maybe even your initial conception of it. And then we kept giving it away to other people in order to get it done. So that was an interesting process. And I'm really glad I went through it because I got to see how you can actually make something better by doing that. And I know a lot of people, including myself, like to maintain control and do things themselves. And I definitely had a lot of feelings of like, what am I doing with my time? Yeah, so it was a period where I had a lot of feelings of self-doubt, you know, of having picked a, a project that maybe just wasn't the right track. But these are things that are normal. I'm also a very stubborn person. And also what was evolving during that time, the election hadn't turned out the way many people had conceived that it would turn out, the one in 2016. The turmoil had started and it felt like this was even a more important topic than it was when we started earlier. The urgency sort of took over and kind of help to quell the self-doubt. Amazing. I then wanted to ask you, America is in a transition as well and was in a transition at that time and will continue to be. And I'm wondering, how do you want to see America transition? Well, you know, this is interesting. It's an interesting question you ask because I will say I don't know the answers to how we're going to get to where we need to go. I feel like many people, I am learning a great deal about the structure in our country that have kept a lot of inequities in place. And we keep trying to peel those layers back and try to address them. But these are complicated. Race is a complicated issue. Gender is a complicated issue. Poverty is, I mean, it's all complicated. And so, I mean, I'd like to see us move forward in a more just and equitable society. But what does that mean? I feel like I will remain in the question and work alongside so many who are trying to tackle it. And now that we're done with And She Could Be Next, I find myself looking at other projects and I am really paying attention to the things that excite me and excite me in the sense of, yes, this is a story that needs to be told. Yes, this is a discussion that needs to be had. And hopefully I can lend my platform to having that. And my platform being part of it being creating either documentary or narrative content that lets people talk about issues. Do you have your next project in mind? I have a couple. So anything uh, you can share? Yeah, yeah. I joined the team of a feature film about Lily Ledbetter. A good friend of mine, Rachel Feldman, wrote this brilliant script. And she and I were in that program we just described, the one where 50 women with Gloria felt. And so we met each other through that. And she asked me to help her get her film made. And we're at the point where Patricia Clarkson has agreed to play Lily. I think oh, she'll be amazing. My goodness. Wow. And you know, we're 
out there talking to companies and organizations to be a part of the social impact campaign. And we're raising money, of course, which is what you do when you're trying to do this kind of thing. But it's a very different exercise because this is really Rachel's vision, but we're all part of it. So she's given away a piece of her vision to us. So, you know, it's sort of the same theme. And then uh, just started to work with another team that is doing a documentary about this Black urban farmer in South Carolina. And I just feel like there's such a powerful narrative there about food equity in this country, which really, to me, ties into many of the themes that were in And She Could Be Next in terms of communities claiming their own power, in terms of Black women leaders, and in terms of not waiting for the system to save you, you like work to save yourself. There's quite a few communities out there that are called food deserts, which means that they just don't have access to a normal supply of fresh food. And it's crazy. They're getting their groceries from gas stations and dollar stores, right? And there's a little bit of a systemic issue there. I mean, it's by design. And it's another thing we have to sort of work at as a country. Those are a couple of things. There's others, but that's what's currently on my plate. They both sound incredible. I wish you lots of luck with both of Thank those you. projects. And I wonder what gets you out of bed in the morning. How how do you keep fighting? How do you stay hopeful? Is it your stubbornness? <laughs> yes. And also because of other people. First of all, there's a lot to be grateful for. The thing that I found very interesting about the pandemic, it sort of revealed the best and the worst, right? So obviously we have lots of issues. The news is filled with them. We don't need to recap all of them. But I also felt like I was connecting with people, my neighbors, people across the country, people who are driven by the same values in a different way. I mean, we couldn't connect physically. So we connected by video, we connected by email, you know, so all the people who were together during the election, but those same people were also doing other things like feeding their neighbors or just being kind to their neighbors. So I feel much more of a sense of community spirit than I used to. Yeah. What's the meaning that you've taken from this whole quarantine experience? Well, there's so many different levels of meaning. I mean, on a sort of policy level, I think there's a role for government. I don't think healthcare should be a profit center. I think that we need to really rethink all of that. Feels like the pandemic has revealed that, but you know, the, those are weighty topics that can be discussed in and of themselves. On a personal level, I just found myself looking for the small bits of connection. You know, we all can get really, really busy being busy and having a bit of a respite from the normal flow was great because I just found new, new ways of connecting. I, this is, I'm going to tell you a story. It's a little bit off the track, but I was taking a walk with my friend and wandering through a neighborhood and I came upon a tree that was called the gnome gifting tree. Somebody had decided to, you know, decorate the tree and also make it sort of this art gallery so that people could add art to it and then people could take it away. And I recognized the tree because I had seen it posted in my buy nothing group. I'm part of a Facebook group where we basically give away things we don't need 
need and then we ask for the things that we need. And, and the idea is it's a gifting economy. These are both things I never did, never had interested in before uh, the pandemic. But these were just little small little connections. This woman comes out of the house and I said, are you part of a buy nothing group? And she said, yes. And she said her name. And I said, oh, I know who you are. We had exchanged things before, but of course it's all contactless. So I never met her. And that's my small, but it, I thought that was sort of delightful, right? There we were on a walk and I ran into somebody I sort of knew, but I had never met. I love that. I think that's a great or, title for this episode. <laughs> I love that. Or um, like you, you and I, we've never met. I know. But, now, but we know each other. We do. And, you know, I want to thank you for sharing that story. I know we don't have much time left, so I wanted to ask you a fun question. You went to UCLA. You worked at Paramount. I, as you know, I did a a small internship at Paramount and went to UCLA as well. So working at Paramount, I wanted to know what one of your favorite moments was in terms of celebrity sightings or just, wow, look at this world that I'm living in. So I wanted to share with you that when I went to the Paramount lot, I'll never forget seeing Diane Keaton jump into a Volkswagen. And it was so cool. It was so cool. So I wanted to know if you could share one of your delightful yeah, moments. I'm happy to. And, and very luckily, I can think of one. But uh, it is what, one of the treats of working on a, a you know a movie lot is 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 those happenstances, right? So I worked in the Roddenberry Building, and during the years that I was working there, Glee was filming the hit show Glee. So a lot of times I would run into uh, the cast members more often than not. But one day I looked at my window, and they were filming a particular episode where I, they were on a film lot, right? Okay. And there was like nuns strolling by. They there was like. <laughs> Vegas dancing girls. There was like all manner of things that people conceive being on a film lot, but they were all surrounding our building just because it was, you know, one of those musical sequences. And I just thought that was fantastic. And then of course there was a cast singing because they were being filmed right in the middle of it all. I thought that was a very Hollywood moment. And that, and just kind of a, again, another delightful moment where you just sort of say, today's a good day to be at work. Wild. So cool. I wanted to ask you one more question, which is you are someone who is so steady and intelligent and generous and what were you like as a child were you always this way were you always so capable and Mm. yeah I I just I'd love to know what you were like as a kid and when you kind of came into your own or was it always there well I guess you know as a mother I see that the child that I first met when she was born just sort of keeps revealing itself you see that when you are a mom you see that kids but for myself I think I was probably a pretty serious kid but I'm also the kid that kicked out of things for talking too much So there's both sides to things. I would say that I think that I might be more coming into my power now because it feels like a time where it's important to sort of do so and not have excuses. But I also recognize the different phases that have kind of contributed to that baseline. And so thank you for all the kind things that you've said. I don't know that I've always seen myself that way, but you know, there's a phase of your life where you're very busy being a good immigrant daughter and trying to get good grades. Uh, then another phase where you're also busy being a very good immigrant daughter trying to make a good living and then <laughs> you know progressing in that way because that's kind of what you do when you your parents come to this country they really want you to take it most advantage of it and it, it becomes kind of like almost like letting them down to sort of step aside and say well you know I'm going to think about social justice and I'm going to think about 
things that are not having to do with building your resume or building wealth or building, you know, your position. So that's sort of the evolution. But those elements are always there from the beginning because my parents were who they were. My dad came, you know, halfway around the world to ensure, as far as I'm concerned, that I was born in this country. Very thankful for that. And also really recognized the sacrifice that that was. And it's, I don't know if I've answered that in the way that you wanted, but that's kind of my take on it is you have certain elements and then maybe as you go along, you feel more and more comfortable being true to those elements that are inside of you. I thought that was beautifully said. Thank you. And there's never a right or wrong answer. I just, I had a feeling it would lead in an interesting direction and it did. So my final question for you is how did you change once you became a mother? How old is your daughter? (laughs) She just turned 21. Wow. Yeah, she's in college. Uh, An amazing human being, I might add. Uh, I have no doubt. What does she want to do? Oh, she wants to save the world in a much more profound way. She's really sees things as many of her generation do in much more crystal clear terms. Whereas I'm still muddling with making excuses (laughs) for the system. She's clear what needs to be changed. So I think a lot of things change when you're a mother and one of those being, it's not about yourself anymore. Right. So that's probably. And and once you have that, it just is. It just is your DNA. And so when that's the case, you can extend that beyond your child. You can extend it to other uh, aspects. Right. Because it's just becomes part of who you are. It's a it's a really I think a lot of parents think this, but it is truly one of the better things I've done with my life. Mm. Do you have a favorite Gloria Steinem quote? I have some here. Okay. And there were some that seemed very apropos with what we're talking about. There's one about women becoming more radical after they turn 50. Exactly. That one feels true for me. Yeah. I've definitely become more radical. You know, actually what that's tied to is that there's a comfort level of being true to yourself. And for many women, being true to yourself means recognizing that things need to change and that therefore you need to be more radical in your approach to doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, my interpretation of it. Like, yeah, that's a, sorry, go ahead. you've already spent the time trying to do it within the system, I suppose you might say. And then you've seen whatever has happened and, and have realized that maybe a different approach needs to be taken. I love that. She also says the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. That's mm-hmm. a good one. That's a really good one. I just want to close out with the piece of advice that you gave us on the Inventbrite Empower Her event that really stuck with me, which was you said you have to come up with your own elevator pitch. Otherwise, you force other people to do the work. Oh, yeah, so that's a good one. I wanted to know once you heard that quote and kind of internalized it, how did it help you? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's about spending the time to define your own narrative. And I want to say, I feel like I'm always doing that. It's not like I'd set in stone. First of all, as a marketing person, you recognize that you really always have, no matter what you're dealing with, you have to craft your own story. So I feel like that's exactly what I've done in a lot of different stages, especially in the last 10 years, is saying, okay, I'm going to define what it is that my mission is, and it can evolve, and that's okay too. But I do, I really do my best not to let someone else or some other institution define that for me. Although that's all, there's always a tension there, right? People are always trying to put you in boxes. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time. I could keep going all day, but I'm sure you have many important people to speak to today. Or <laughs> maybe you're just. I think I just spoke to someone important. Oh, you're, you're sweet. <laughs> I hope you get to enjoy the sunshine today. How's the weather over there? It's a little overcast, but you know, okay. it's Southern California, and that's okay. <laughs> So that's the end of our chat. As you can see, Jodi is an incredibly impressive, intelligent, and warm woman. She devotes a lot of her time to mentoring other women, and I'm so appreciative of the help that she's given me, her time, and her advice. I think my favorite takeaway from this whole conversation is really the idea of sitting with a question. I think so often with social media, we post and we kind of move on from an issue. So I think I'll take her advice and if there's something I really want to fix, to not expect to do it by myself or right away, but to really sit with the question and work alongside other people to come up with a solution. Thanks so much and have a great day. Hey, and welcome to the Flip Flops podcast. So today is the second episode of 40% Facts. This was born on a girls road trip from Montreal to New York. And we were all laughing about someone's husband who said to one of us, you're not reliable. I can't argue with you. You know, you only ever bring 40% facts to the table. And so we just laughed about that and said, you know, we should have our own show called 40% Facts. And it you know, this happened maybe two years ago. And so I said, let's do it. Let's make it happen on this podcast. And here we are with uh, Annabelle Agnew and Suzanne Bateman and Emmeline Vildary. Uh, Annabelle is a wedding photographer and portrait photographer. Uh, Sue is a street style photographer. And Emmeline is a landscape painter. And I, Angelique Gay, am am a writer. And today we're going to talk about shame and fear and boundaries and ultimately how we can bust those things getting in our way and choose happiness. So I hope you enjoy it and uh, definitely let me, let me know what you think. <laughs> <laughs>